Hi listeners and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. On April 6, 1997, the Lily Lid family, devout Jehovah's Witnesses, were headed home from a religious convention. They stopped at a rest area on Interstate 81 in Greenville, Tennessee, where they unfortunately crossed paths with six sinister teenagers. Vidar Lily Lid took his son Peter for a walk in the rest area when he encountered two members of the group and Vidar asked if they believed in God. The evil acts that happened next still haunt Eastern Tennessee to this day. This is the story of the Lily Lid murders. It had been a long weekend for the family and they were ready to go home. Vidar and Delfina Lily Lid had spent that Sunday at the Anio Jehovah's Witness Assembly at Freedom Hall in Johnson City, where members of the family from across East Tennessee had gathered for fellowship, Bible study, sermons, and prayer. Vidar was 34 and had moved to Miami from Norway 10 years prior. Delfina was 28 years old and was a New Jersey-born daughter of Honduran immigrants. They were married by 1989 and moved to Knoxville after their daughter's birth in search for a peaceful place to raise their children, trying to avoid the drugs and violence of a bigger city. So Knoxville seemed very appealing to them. And a hiking trip to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park convinced the couple they found the perfect place to sit their roots as a family. Their son Peter was born in 1995, just two years after moving to Knoxville. The week ahead after the convention promised to be busy, Vidar had to be back at work for his job as a bellman at the Holiday Inn Cedar Bluff in West Knoxville on Monday. And Delfina had chores to do and homeschool lessons to prepare for the children. The family lived in a 50-year-old home in the Powell community, and the house needed some work, okay? And the parents had finally saved enough to buy a new swing set for Peter and Tabitha. Later, they hoped to renovate the upstairs into an apartment for Delfina's mother. And in just a month, they had planned to fly to Norway for the first time with their children to visit Vidar's relatives. As they were heading home from the convention, some friends invited the Lily Lids to stop by for dinner. But unfortunately, the couple's weekend cash had already been running low. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah. So Vidar decided to pass on the invite and the family got into their 1987 cream-colored Dodge, and they headed south on Interstate 81. And just before 7.20 p.m., the van pulled into the rest area at mile marker 41. They were about halfway home at this point. Before we go any further, I want to tell you more about the killers, okay? So each of these teens had troubled and complex pasts. I'll tell you all about it right after this commercial break. That was fantastic, Jose. You want to know what I just did? What'd you do? I just tried. I opened up, and you don't get any. I opened up the new wine that I received from Wine of the Month Club. So do you, Jose, want to treat yourself or someone special to great wines month after month? I would love to. Well, now you can with Wine of the Month Club. With Wine of the Month Club, you get three different bottles of rare international wine every month. You get to choose from all red, all white, or mixed. 
You can also choose to do a package every two months or three months if that's a better option for you. And every package ships with their monthly newsletter covering your selections and our listener favorites. Fun facts! We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click on the Wine of the Club Month link and sign up, we will earn a commission. You can support the show and get wine delivered to your door by using promo code HOLIDAY15 to get $15 off any four-month club, or you can use promo code HOLIDAY20 for $20 off any six-month club, which sounds like a win-win to me. You get to stay home during this COVID-19 pandemic, quarantine by yourself, and your wines. And they ship free. What? Hey, Jose. So you know that during this pandemic, it could even be scary to go to the grocery store sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can save yourself that trip using Instacart. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Instacart highlights deals to help you save money. They find everything you usually buy. You can get smart suggestions for new items. They even pick the freshest produce and they keep your eggs safe too. We are a proud affiliate of Instacart. So head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show and click their link. Natasha Cornett left school before the end of ninth grade with a criminal record that went all the way back from when she was 14 years old. Okay. So her criminal record involved thefts and an assault on her mother involving threatening her with a knife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her home life was disruptive with her mother in numerous relationships and different father figures coming in and out of Natasha's life. So she started starving herself to look thinner. She slashed her arms with razors and licked the blood. Licked the blood? Yes. Oh, man. So she wore black, pierced her eyebrows, and read books on witchcraft and called herself Satan's daughter. You're kidding. (laughs) She began self-harming at a young age, and because of that, she had also attempted suicide at the age of 13, which in return, it actually landed her into a psychiatric care facility. That's horrible. At yeah. such a young age. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. At age 14, she threatened her mother with a knife. And Natasha told friends she talked to angels and demons since she was four years old. Okay. Huh. So, yeah. So she wrote about the apparitions in her diary and gave them names. Okay. Okay. That's creepy. That's like another level of creepy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so Natasha believed in the devil and believed Satan existed. So with an interest in spirits and demons, she had tried to make contact with them through various rituals, believing she could hear them talking to her. Which is like never a good idea, okay? No. (laughs) So she had an urge to leave the life she knew and she tasted life away from home when she married at age 17. At 17? 17 years old. How can you even legally marry at 17? That's crazy. I know. I thought you had to ask for permission, but maybe, I don't know, maybe every state is different. I don't know. But in this ceremony where the bride and her maid of honor were dressed in black and wore chains. (laughs) They wore chains? Are you kidding? They wore chains. (laughs) So that marriage ended less than a year later when her husband dropped her off at her mother's home and drove away without saying a word, which I would have been pissed. Like, what the hell? (laughs) I mean, I wonder what she did. I mean, it sounds like he was maybe scared. I don't know. Maybe based on what you're telling me, the things that she sees and does. So I know. And I couldn't find any details on why, but it, it left me like 
curious to think what potentially scared him away, right? right was it exactly. the rituals? Was it like, what was it? Mm. Natasha was able to leave home a second time a few months later when Natasha and a friend drove to New Orleans and they ended up living on the streets. So she told friends she wanted to go back and she dreamt of living out one of her favorite movies, which was Natural Born Killers, which is a story about a pair of lovers who leave a trail of bodies on their way to the Mexican border. Oh, that sounds like a dream, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, it was weird. hers, you know? Yeah. So in a psychiatric assessment after the murders, it was concluded Natasha was not psychotic, but there were clear mental and emotional disturbances with the presence of bipolar and personality disorders. The youngest of the group, Jason Bryant, had a low IQ and underdeveloped social and emotional skills for a 14-year-old. So he's only 14? Yeah. So Jason had been abusing both drugs and alcohol from a young age, and you're not going to believe his age. What? Nine a- years old. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. he's only 14. So he's started at nine? At nine years old and had some criminal history with joyriding and running away from home. So meeting Natasha just one month before the murders, she took pity on this lost boy after finding him in the streets of Kentucky. And Natasha picked him up from a street corner, offering him cheap alcohol and kisses. (laughs) Yeah, so he routinely lied about his age and he even let Natasha carve her initials into his arm to show he wasn't afraid. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this whole story is just very bizarre. So Edward Dean Mullins differed in that he didn't have a history of substance abuse or criminal activity. And those close to him felt his behavior change once he began a relationship with Natasha. So another member of the group was Joseph Risner. And just like Edward, he didn't have a criminal record, but he became involved with this group when he met them through high school classes. Oh, okay. I mean, it's kind of rough. I mean, that's kind of like how you choose your friends. Because obviously these two are very different from maybe Natasha and Jason. So Karen Howell had dropped out of school at age 16. And her early home life was full with violent fights between her and her parents. So Karen Howell claimed she had suffered sexual abuse. And just like Natasha... Had, she had started to self-harm with a number of reported suicide attempts. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Involved in substance misuse, Karen began to dabble into the cult using a Ouija board and casting what she called love spells. Okay. And also with a low intelligence score, just like Jason, Karen was assessed as being able to engage well, but easily gives up when under pressure with poor judgment and reasoning skills. So Crystal Sturgill had no prior criminal behavior, but had noted emotional neglect on her record due to her home life with her mother and stepfather. And four months before the murders, Crystal had accused her stepfather of sexual abuse dating back a number of years to which her stepfather confessed to. That's just awful. It is. awful. Yeah. So her mother, however, didn't believe the allegations despite her husband's admission of guilt, causing a difficult rift between mother and daughter, which is completely understandable. You know, how do you not 
believe your daughter for one those are serious allegations right and two he's even admitting to it yeah see because that you're you're splitting us up or mm-hmm. whatever it's just terrible right. yeah terrible. so unable to stay living at home crystal moved from family member to family member being told to move on from each after short periods of time so by the time she met natasha she had lived in over 13 locations since her reports of abuse four months earlier and she ended up accepting natasha's offer of somewhere to stay after running out of options 13 places in four 13. months yeah That's it's horrible for a kid mm-hmm. oh, man that's rough yeah so at the time of the murders natasha was in a relationship with 19 year old edward okay and karen was seeing 20 year old joseph the oldest of the group. So Joseph was the oldest, okay? Okay. So Joseph had his mother's car, and at some point, they all agreed on a road trip towards New Orleans. Like uh, Natasha had done before, right? Right. So before leaving Kentucky, they stole two guns and a handful of cash, but what their intentions were was never fully established. So the idea to leave town and head down to New Orleans came up during a Friday night party of drinking beer and getting high in a room at the Coley Motel in Pikeville, Kentucky on April 4th, 1987. So now at the same time as the Lily Lid family pulled into that same rest stop, the six teenagers were already there thinking of stealing another car. So they were concerned that the car they had wouldn't make it down to New Orleans. At the rest area, Peter Lilylid was restless and crying from an earache. So his father, Vidar, took him for a walk. So Delphina and Tabitha headed to the restroom and stopped to chat with a friend, Karen Sinclair, who was also heading home from the assembly with her teenage daughter, Kara. So they talked about the weather, the ride home to Knoxville, the weekend ahead. As the women walked in, Natasha and Karen walk out. So Joseph smoked a cigarette as the rest of the group hung around the vending machines. He knew the car wouldn't make it much further. So the hatchback hadn't run well to begin with. It could barely hold four people. And now it was carrying six people. Oh, yeah. There's no way. And I got it stuffed like a sardine can. (laughs) Yeah. So the group had stolen two guns, which was a nine millimeter and a 25 caliber and some cash before leaving Kentucky. So the thefts had put them behind adding up to a late start that afternoon. So he'd caught a speeding ticket an hour before when a trooper stopped him on the way through Gate City, Virginia. Really? Mm -hmm. Just an hour beforehand? Yeah. So Vidar and Peter stood by the door to the visitor center as Natasha and Karen walked out. So Vidar, who always kept a religious pamphlet handy in his pocket, looked up and smiled. And he said, do you believe in God? Natasha shook her head. No, she said. God never answered any of my prayers when I needed him. I mean, I don't blame her for saying that based on her life. Right. So Joseph had seen the family step out of their van moments earlier. He and Jason walked up as Vidar pulled out the pamphlet. So Vidar had also asked Jason and Joseph if they also believed in God. 
And later, Joseph actually testified, and this is what he said, and I quote, he had a pretty thick accent. He was talking about God or something, and he said, would you like to learn more about, about God? And I said, well, yeah, sure, end quote. Delfina and Tabitha come out of the restroom, and Vidar invites the four of them over to a nearby picnic area to talk. So Karen Sinclair saw them head that way as she drove away. So that was the friend, right? Yes. That was coming from the, con- mm-hmm. the conference. Yes. So she later says, I noticed the group began moving like a herd over towards Vidar's direction, but I really didn't think much of it at the time. And I honked at Vidar and waved and went on. That's oh, what she told police. Man. Yeah. So at the table, Vidar held Peter on his lap and began laying out the basics of Jehovah's Witness faith. Joseph got up and headed back to the car, where Edward and Crystal sat in the backseat, bored and not paying attention. Joseph reached inside and he said, We're going to do something. Just be ready, he whispered and walked back. So Vidar was still talking. Joseph pulls out the 9mm and he says, I'm sorry about this. Everybody just be quiet and nothing's going to happen to you. All we need is the van. Oh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. So police received two 911 calls reporting gunshots being heard in the area of Payne Hollow Lane, which was a rural road just off Highway 81 and nearby the rest area at around 9 p.m. that evening. So one caller was a neighbor and saw two vehicles pull in and only one leave. So the other caller was a contractor working on a water tower and he heard two bursts of gunfire, one right after the other, followed by a muddled commotion. And he said, and I quote, like children on a playground. Oh, that's kind of creepy. Mm -hmm. That's I don't like that. Yeah, so when police arrived at the scene, they found an abandoned Chevrolet Citation with its license plate removed, which happened to be stuck in mud. So they made the horrifying discovery of four bodies piled on top of each other, forming an upside-down cross in a ditch at the side of the road. It's terrible. I know. So Vidar and Delfina Lily Lid were already dead, but their two young children were barely alive on top of them. Oh, I can't even picture that. That's just awful. It's horrible. Vidar and Delfina's bodies were rigid. Their legs had been crushed, and there was even tire marks on them. Tabitha's body twitched slightly on top of her father's, and doctors spend the night trying to save her, but unfortunately, they pronounce her dead the next day at the University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. That's so sad. I know. So... Peter lay unmoving on top of his mother's corpse. His face was buried in the mud, and as a police officer kneeled down to turn him over, Peter started to cry. He was just moments away from suffocating in the mud. That's horrible. It's so lucky that he actually was able to find them in time. Mm Mm-hmm. The autopsy determined that the family had been lined up along the ditch and shot, and they think that most likely Vidar was the first one to fall. So both the parents had been not only shot, but they were also run over. And they believe that Delfina was probably still alive when they stole the van and ran her over. Oh, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one shot struck the father in the right eye and knocked him unconscious immediately. He landed on his back to be shot at least four more times. 
Three shots, all from a 9mm pistol, formed a nearly perfect triangle on his right upper chest. The pat And the pattern was intentional. So two more shots had pierced his chest below the right nipple. Delfina's first shot was on her left arm by the 9mm. The second bullet struck her in the left leg and shattered her thigh bone, bringing her to the ground. And neither of those wounds would have been fatal if it wasn't that she got shot six more times. Mm. She also had a triangle gunshot wound on her abdomen, almost identical to the pattern on Vidar's chest from the same caliber bullet. It's so odd, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was looking up pictures of this, of the crime scene. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you see it. It's like a perfectly formed triangle. It's just crazy. I don't know if it's like related to like the occult that they Mm -hmm. were into. At least, you know, two people of the group were. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. It just seems very odd. Yeah. Based on the autopsy, it's estimated that she could have lived as long as half an hour, which would have been long enough to see her husband and both her children get shot. That's horrible. It like, is. Can you imagine it's how being awful. tortured, not being able to do anything. Right. And they ran over you. Mm-hmm. And you're, oh, that's, yeah, that's just it's horrible. Horrendous. Yeah. So Tabitha had been shot once in the head by a small caliber bullet. Peter had been shot twice, once in the head behind his right ear, and it happened to exit out of his right eye. Oh. And he was also shot once in the back. So even though Peter had been shot in the head and the bullet had an exit through his eye, Peter did survive the attack, but suffered terrible injuries to obviously his head and his eye and his spine resulting in loss of his eye. That's just horrible. He was just a two-year-old. Yeah. So luckily, the killers left their car behind at the scene. So the abandoned Chevrolet was Joseph's mother's car and proved to be the link between the two teenagers and the murder scene. So the car had no tags, but the vehicle identification number triggered authorities to trace the registration to Kentucky and ultimately to Joseph's mother, Mary Castle. Mary hadn't seen her son in two days. She didn't know where he was, but she knew the names of the friends he'd been with. And they were also missing. Right. So the Lily Lids Dodge van is now in possession of the teenagers and was heading towards Mexico after they abandoned the idea of going to New Orleans. Yeah, probably because they killed an innocent family. Right. So after shooting an innocent family dead, they decided to continue the road trip with no remorse for what they had done. Get this. So the teenagers actually did cross the Mexican border. Mm -hmm. But upon trying to re-enter the U.S., the lack of correct papers and license plates and the license plate that was checked on their stolen vehicle obviously quickly put an end to their time on the run. And all six of them were taken into custody. Good. Yeah. So, you know, obviously they were dumb enough to cross the border, not even have the correct papers to cross the back to the U.S., you know, and eventually that's what led to their capture. Yeah, they were dumb kids. I mean, I don't know if they can, they can even perform those acts, but think that just taking out a license plate from a car is going to, oh, okay, they won't be able to catch us. Right. Come on, there's a bit number. Okay. Mm-hmm. So stupid. So with Karen and Jason being under 18 years old, they were juveniles facing life sentences without the possibility of parole if convicted of murder. So the other four 
who were over the age of 18 were charged as adults and they were seeking the death penalty against all four. On February 20th, 1998, almost one year after the murders, all six defendants pleaded guilty to charges of murder and attempted murder, waiving their right to trial by jury. Let me guess. So they can get out of out of the death penalty. Mm, well, in exchange for their guilty pleas, the sentence of death was removed from the case, leaving all six defendants accepting sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole. You hear that every time. I know. So although the teenagers spoke of what happened before the shooting and the immediate events leading up to it, when it came to details of the shooting itself and who fired the the fatal shots, their stories began to differ. No one was willing to take responsibility for firing the weapons that ended the lives of the Lilith family, which to me, it's, you know, like what cowards, you know? Yeah. And there were six of them. They were all aware who the hell knows what the hell their plan was to go down to New Orleans Mm -hmm. with weapons and money or whatever. But I mean, they went through with doing that. Mm -hmm. Why did it have to go to, instead of just taking the the van, why Mm -hmm. did it have to go to actually murdering a family? Right. And then the way they did it, that's just, that's terrible. Yeah. So now remember, Jason was the youngest of the group. He was only 14 years old. Right. And he was blamed by Natasha, Joseph and Karen for pulling out the gun and shooting the family. So they all kind of pointed at the youngest. They claimed that they had no warning and had no idea he was going to shoot them, which is like, really, really, you know, like you all had a plan. But Jason claimed it was Joseph and Edward who fired the guns and they had planned to put the blame on him as he was the youngest and a juvenile more likely to get a lesser sentence. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they ganged up on him Mm -hmm. and trying to persuade him into a, hey, you're only 14. Right. so. So you'll be fine. So in their joint sentencing hearing, the trial court concluded that each defendant had played a role in these murders. And although it was acknowledged that not all of them pulled the trigger, firing the fatal shots, all of them were present throughout the kidnapping of the family and through their deaths. So doing nothing to prevent what was happening despite the opportunity to do so right they all anybody there could have potentially stopped it exactly or just said okay this is enough you know just winning them rather than actually killing them but nobody did that which is why they just received you know the life sentence without the possibility of parole and in the years since these horrific murders these teenagers have grown into adults now and have spent the last 20 years of their lives behind bars Natasha, who many feel was the leader of the group, made a number of appeals against her conviction in the years following the murders, all of which were rejected, which is, to me, like, good. Yeah, right. So Natasha denies the idea of satanic worship and claimed that it first emerged when the original lawyer used this angle to try and gain attention and introduce mitigation circumstances for her upcoming trial. Natasha also feels that that was what damaged her case in any hopes of getting freed. Which kind of makes sense. Based on the region where this is at, it's Mm -hmm. like in the Bible Belt. So there's a lot of religious people. Mm -hmm. Like most of the people there will go to church and do that, you know. Right. Um, So they're going to have strong beliefs, especially if it's coming up against, oh, she was a, you know a devil worshiper and was into witchcraft. That's in a lucky event. It's literally going to turn into a witch Mm -hmm. witch hunt, you know. Yeah. 
So Karen and Crystal have both sent emails to media trying to explain their actions and express their remorse, quote unquote, which we know none of these teenagers had any remorse for it. But now they're claiming that they did. But get this, both Karen, Crystal and the youngest, Jason, could potentially have their sentences reconsidered because in 2012, U.S. Supreme Court decided that mandatory life without the possibility of parole sentences for juveniles were unconstitutional. So that means potentially that could be a way out for Karen and Joseph because mm-hmm. they were the youngest. So that yeah. kind of makes sense. We've seen that in other cases come up. I can't remember. It was, it was certainly several episodes back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's still like... You're still a part of that. You right. know what I mean? So, I mean, you still did these horrible acts. This isn't a, a small crime. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree 100%. So, according to Karen, she says that they were never a cult and that there wasn't any satanic rituals. Okay. So, she was saying that there was a, they didn't actually move the bodies to shape them in an upside down cross. And that there was no taking turns of shooting the family. I don't know. I find that hard to believe, right? I mean, I guess, okay, fair enough. Maybe they weren't doing the rituals or whatever, but they still did these horrible acts. Everything they did, including running over them, the way that they shot the bodies, mm-hmm. like, it's all really horrible. Right. Yeah. But, so it really doesn't matter whether you were a cult, you were, in, you know, doing satanic rituals. Did you place the body in an upside down cross? Did you not? You know, it doesn't matter. Like, to your point... You still did this. You were still a part of it and did nothing. So after the murder, the town started seeing a spike in witchcraft in the community. And there had also been reports of paranormal activity around the community after. It's interesting you say that because I think that's how I became aware of this case. Oh, really? Yeah, I was watching this show. It was called uh, Haunting in the Heartland. Mm Mm-hmm. And it, you know, they go and do ghost hunting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but this specific place or around this town, they were talking about this particular murder. Mm-hmm. And they actually interviewed um, the district attorney at the time, Berkeley Bell. Oh, okay. And you know, the the host asked, "What really happened in this situation? Were the teens really part of a satanic cult?" Oh, they were at, okay. Uh-huh. So they asked Berkeley Bell this. Okay. And he responded with, and I quote, "Evil is a real thing, and it can consume someone." I'm not going to tell you the things on the record, but there were all kinds of really weird supernatural crap going on with this case. They were really, truly somehow involved with the devil. Oh, really? So he said, this is not teens. This is the real deal. It is almost palpable if they were in the room right now, you could feel it. Oh, no, Yeah, so you you. can say they can feel their negativity. Yeah, their negativity, their evilness. And the last thing he said, before they left to come down here, they were at the Collie Motel in Peckville, Kentucky, like you said, in a particular room that they rented on a regular basis in order to perform these satanic rituals. They had razor blades, candles, and they would cut each other and suck on each other's blood. They declared they were going to go across the country robbing and killing people. And clearly that's what they did. Yeah, that is kind of what they did. And it kind of goes with what the that movie that she was obsessed with, that Karen was with. Or Natasha was obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So obviously there was debate whether or not this was a ritualistic killing or not. Right, he claims yeah. it was. He absolutely claims it was. I know, which I find kind of interesting. And if you look at the, the crime scene photos, mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of can't deny it. You can kind of certainly see it from that perspective. Really? Yeah. I mean, if you see it, it's literally like a, a triangle 
of the actual bullet wounds. Like yeah, exactly. See, I, the did, place. I didn't look at those because those tend to just. I don't know. Like th- this particular case, it was always. It, it was already enraging me. So, yeah, I didn't even bother looking at the photos. And you know me, I'm usually the first one. That I'm like, oh, let me see. But for some reason with this one, it was just like it was an innocent family. And with the kids, I don't even want to bother looking at it. But, um, yeah, I didn't know it, it actually was that clear. So it was when you took a look at them. Yeah, it was. I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of claimed it was like a pentagram. I don't mm-hmm. know that's necessarily that, but. I could see how it could be considered ritualistic. It wasn't like just, oh, I'm trying to aim for a kill shot. It was probably seemed like maybe after the fact. Right. Yeah. Regardless, this, whether that's true or not, I mean, the town kind of feels that negativity and feels it and looks at it that way for sure. I mean, it literally seemed like it turned into a witch hunt, but it doesn't take away from how horrible these acts were, regardless of what led us there. Exactly. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcasttruecrimeweekly. And please don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. So those really do help. Thanks for listening.